sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. I'd like to welcome today to our chat, Dr. Donna Thomas and Professor Tricia McCabe, both from Sydney University. And I'm sure you all know that they're both researching the area of intervention for children with childhood apraxia of speech using REST. This chat came about because we had some questions on Facebook about the delivery of REST via telepractice. Important consideration in this strange time that we live in. It turns out that Dr Thomas actually did her PhD looking at this very thing. So I'm going to ask Donna to kick off now and tell us a little bit bit about the evidence for delivery of rest via telepractice. Thanks, Corrie. Um, we looked at telepractice of rest because we know that rest is an effective treatment for children with apraxia. Children with apraxia benefit from motor-based treatments, and we knew from the first randomised control trial into CAS treatments that rest was an effective treatment. One of the challenges was the, that rest had been studied with children coming into the clinic for four days a week for three consecutive weeks. And it was great that that worked. It was fabulous. But for lots of families, getting into the clinic for four days a week for three consecutive weeks, that's just really, really hard. So what we did is we had a look and saw what happened when we did that via telehealth. So we did a small phase one study and we had five children who were in that study and they all ranged in age between five and, and 11 years. So we found that the children improved as a result of the rest treatment, they improved on the pseudo words in rest. They had significant improvement as a result of the treatment. They also generalized those gains to untreated pseudo words, but most importantly, they also improved with untreated real words. So that's really letting us know that that treatment was effective. So they improved significantly with all of those things, and then they maintained their goals they maintained that improvement up to four months post-treatment. So not only did we get an effective treatment, but we had an effective treatment that was able to, um, where the children were able to maintain those gains. So that was really exciting. That is very exciting indeed. I'm sure there were some challenges involved in this first look at delivery via telepractice. I wonder whether you'd like to talk a little bit about that. Maybe Tricia, she looks like she wants to say something. <laughs> so um, in all of our REST studies, we've had a combination of students doing therapy and clinicians doing therapy. And I just have to share this story. I was one of the clinicians and one day... I was working with this uh, 12-year-old, 11-year-old, um, and I said, oh, you look very green. Are you okay? And he said no and ran off and threw up in his bathroom at home. And I have to tell you that that's the first time I've ever been so pleased that a child was unwell in a session and he was not in my presence. It was so good. 
Sorry, I understand that absolutely. Don, did you want to tell the sort of the broader story? <laughs> yeah, well, in terms of other challenges, uh, we were using a platform called Adobe Connect. We now use Zoom for doing teletherapy for rest. But when we were using Adobe Connect, we used to give host privileges to the children so that they could do interactive games. So we'd play... Um, we play dot to dot with them or they would do uh, some um, spot the difference and they'd circle them. So I had given host privileges to one of the children at one point. I actually think it was one of the student clinicians who'd given uh, host privileges to the child that we know as Emily. That's her pseudonym. And Emily then locked the student clinician out of the session. We'd given her host privileges and she used them really well. So the children are sometimes well across the tech and all of a sudden the, the, the clinician was unable to work with the client. So we always have backup systems. We have telephones and we contacted the, the parent and said, um, Emily has just locked us out of the session and we we're able to get through. So there's, there's some of those sorts of tech challenges that we have. That's a really interesting thought, giving the child um, host privileges. I wonder how many clinicians have actually been doing that. Mm. Mm. Giving, giving host privileges can be really helpful because it does allow the child to do more with the, with the system. Mm. But we find with Zoom, by being able to share screen, we're able to do other things. So we can show children videos and we can have them playing interactive games. So it's the way that we do the things are slightly different in Zoom. So we don't routinely need to give host privileges in Zoom like we did in Adobe Connect. One mm. of the things that in Adobe Connect, if you wanted to have access to the pen to draw on the whiteboard or what have you, you had to be the host. But in Zoom, anyone who's sharing their screen can have access to the pen. So in the annotate function. That's only in the paid version of Zoom though. So if you're in the free version of Zoom, it doesn't quite work like that. And I guess there's some um, challenges there if you're using one of the free systems versus one of the paid systems. Hmm. Indeed. So that leads me to ask whether you have any top tips for administering rest by telepractice. I would say that administering tel tele rest via telehealth actually isn't that different to administering rest in a face-to-face -face context. So yes, you need to be a bit more organized and you need to have your materials ready. So you need your cards that you're going to use in the pre-practice phase of rest. And then you need to have a PowerPoint ready with your 100 items that they're going to do in the practice phase. So when you've got your PowerPoint ready, you can then use share screen and the client can see it. So there's things to, like that to get ready. If you're going to be doing interactive games or showing websites, you, you need to have those ready before you start your session. So cued so that when you go, go to share screen, it's suddenly there. And there's also a little bit of work to do in terms of the setup. So working out what the client's going to be doing in terms of headphones and microphone. In our research program, we had the children wearing headphones and they had a separate microphone that they, that they wore around their neck. The reason we had those two as separate was so that the parent could actually hear what was happening. For routine clinical practice, if the child wears a headset microphone, that will work. So they can hear via the headphones and they'll have the microphone on. So that's, that's probably okay. Just means that if the, the child's wearing headphones, the parent can't hear what's happening. So if you've got a younger child who might need some help with um, being able to attend to the screen and the parent can't hear, that they're unable to help you with that. Mm. I do that by getting the parent to log in with their own headphones because Zoom has multiple logins and so forth, I manage that. 
just by having two two logins. Um, and if the child can cope with seeing mum or dad on the screen, that's fine. Elsewise, they just have their video off. And so they're hearing what's going on. The child is seeing what's going on and everybody's um, knows what's going on. Um, I think the other thing there is that um, you can still improvise. So in the in rest, in pre-practice, you're often improvising to try and find what cues are going to work for the child. And it doesn't stop you being your the clinician you are. So if you would ordinarily draw something on paper, as long as you are mildly oriented to the screen, you can still draw on paper and hold it up to the camera, um, which I do from time to time. Helps to have a thicker pen because it's easier to see when you're holding it up like that um, and to have it on a notepad rather than having a, a rough piece of paper. But elsewise, it's very similar to what you're doing in um, a face-to-face -face session. The younger kids uh, are harder to keep on track. Um, and some of the things that people are doing for other treatments can be helpful here. So uh, changing background, having, um, having, the animations and other things that you might be using with children who are having language therapy available to you. So if you're a clinician and you're doing back-to-back -back Zoom sessions, the stuff that you're using as a therapy tool in your language therapy can become an activity um, for children who are otherwise language okay, but needing some diversion when you get to um, the telehealth um, uh, sorry, telepractice rest session. Um, so the younger kids, it's the same as using, is doing therapy with the younger kids in another um, goal area that they just need that help to stay focused on the screen and the screen needs to be um, engaging for them. I'm, I'm using puppets. I'm using costumes. Um, so it's not all animation stuff. It's me reaching over here and picking up a puppet and the puppet they saying the words for the puppet um, as where they might have been collecting tokens or something if, if I were, had them face-to-face. -face. And the other thing, if children are working on telepractice at home, is not all of their game breaks need to be focused on the screen. So in the two-minute breaks that we have between 20 items in rest, some of the, the my favourite activities to do with children is to give them a little scavenger hunt. So in their two minutes, they have to run and find something green and run and find a shoe. And, and they think that's really fun. So it gets them up out of their chair or they sometimes like a little version of like Simon Says where um, the clinician can do some actions and they have to copy and then they be the uh, person to choose what actions are going to be done. So that gets them up and get get some physically active. Some children just want to have a break. So they just want to go and get a drink or they just want to go to the toilet. And we've got all of those options when we're doing telehealth. So lots of flexibility. Yeah. I, I mean, the general telehealth problems of being distracted at home, when you come into my clinic room, you've only got the things that I have and I'm in control of them. But when you're at home, you've got all the things you have and you're in control of them. So having, the, having that discussion in advance with the parents mm -hmm. in any telehealth setting, um, having a clear understanding of this is going to be for this long and then the child gets a break and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, Donna, have you started any clients just now in this time with um, rest or are they all continuing clients who've moved over? 
the continuing clients who have moved over. It's interesting hearing you talk about the distractions because that's one of the things that came up. We did some qualitative work with the parents who had been part of the telehealth study and we actually asked them what their experiences were. And one of the key themes that came out was it was challenging for them to establish boundaries for exactly those things that you talked about. People wouldn't, other family members wouldn't respect the telehealth session in the same way that they would have respected a face-to-face session where you'd go in and you'd know that for that time the child needed to... um, to really focus so sometimes grandparents would pop in and they wouldn't understand why the child and the parent couldn't be chatting with them and doing normal things so parents did lots of stuff to try and mark out where the speech pathology was to happen so they'd set up little nooks and corners where where the child could actually focus maybe setting up a special desk or a special space so that that was that was that was a way of delineating where the workspace was to happen hmm There's some fantastic ideas there. I'm definitely going to steal some of those for the teleliteracy interactions I'm having with my two little grandchildren while they're a long way away from me. Can we just talk briefly now before we finish today about where the research is going with REST at the moment, given that we're in a completely different context? Tricia, you might like to start. So... We know REST works when it's face-to-face four days a week and part of my job is to convince clinicians that they can um, change how they see clients by, so for example, if if the child is funded for a school term's worth of intervention, that they do that across a short period rather than spreading it across the school term with parental agreement and so forth. Um, telehealth and the current situation um, allow us to think about that a bit more directly because you're not dragging children away from to some somewhere so they're not having to travel for half an hour each way to come to therapy or what have you and so that that implementation work is ongoing and we're looking at how we might be able to evaluate that We know that Australian clinicians know what REST is, but they're using Nuffield primarily. Um, And that's partly, uh, so that's Marianne Gomez's uh, 2018 paper. Um, And that's partly about familiarity and partly about uh, the age group that many clinicians focus on, which for which Nuffield might be more appropriate. So the younger kids, but if you're working with school age children, Um, now's the time to think about, can I do rest more intensively? Um, And so one of the things we've done is put all the rest materials online and we've evaluated um, whether learning how to do rest via all the online materials is effective. And the answer is yes. And that paper is in process. That'll come through. Uh, And we also know that, um, there's a community that you talked about and getting engagement from that community. And that's one of the areas that we're looking to involve people in research is, you know, how do people uh, adopt a new practice uh, without going to workshops and so forth? So, you know, what, what's the word of mouth and all of those kinds of things. Donna's, as she said, currently studying um, once a week intervention And we've done twice a week with older children, which is also in the pipeline. So twice a week uh, with some late primary and early high school children. So that's a a study that's 
underway, well, completed but not yet published. So we'll have a once a week intervention study and a twice a week intervention study, which will help clinicians. Um, we, we haven't come back round to parent training. Um, the studies that we've had, uh, Donna had a study in her PhD about parent training and it wasn't as effective. <laughs> Sometimes I describe it as a debacle. <laughs> no, we had a look and we saw how um, twice a week went and that was quite effective. Then we had a look and we saw how telehealth went and that was effective. And then we tried getting parents to do some of the work and it was effective for two of the five children that we looked at. And parents parents found it hard to listen for prosody. And I think clinicians find it hard to listen for prosody. We spend a lot of time thinking about sounds. And yet when we get to kids with apraxia, we really need to consider what's happening for them in terms of prosody. And the parents just found that really hard to make those judgments. And then they found it hard to encourage their child to work with them. And then we were doing it four times a week for three weeks. And so they found that was really intense. And there was a lot of stuff about role. So parents were sort of saying, I feel that my role is to encourage my child at all times. And in REST, we're choosing hard targets and the children often aren't getting much success. And the, the parents felt really mean, saying, no, not that time. No, you missed it. And um, their fidelity wasn't great. So when we had a look, sometimes they were saying the wrong thing. They were saying, yay, well done. And actually the child hadn't got it, got it right. So there's a lot we need to unpack in terms of what's happening because it works for some parents but it doesn't work for others. So, but when we look and we see that it's working for less than half at this stage, we're really strongly recommending that rest is not something that parents do at home. We need to understand a lot more about how people make judgments of prosody, about how we can train people to make good judgments of prosody and how we can support parents when they're doing a, you know, a pretty tricky, a pretty tricky treatment. Um, I think there might be a way forward, but we're a long way from that point. Mm. Um. So we, we are looking at um, can we automate whether uh, the prosody, can we automate the judgment of correct and incorrect prosody? And to do that, we need to know what clinicians are hearing. So that's research that's underway and the first paper in that study has been published. And then in the second um, piece of work we're still doing is we're compiling all the kids in, who've had rest into one big group and we're trying to find the factors that predicted their um, performance so that we can give clinicians better advice about which children um, are suitable for rest and which children aren't suitable. Uh, and that's uh, Wei Lin Ng's honours work. So that'll be finished at the end of the year. And hopefully we'll have uh, a, some idea of what we can better advise clinicians and parents as to the likelihood of success with rest intervention. Uh, so Donna, we had some problems with technology while you were doing your PhD. What did you do when the signal broke up? Yeah, that was a challenge. It didn't happen that often, but when the signal broke up, it was important that we didn't give feedback to the client about their production. So sometimes you'd think, actually, was that broken or was that not broken? And so if there was any ambiguity about it, we allocated that to be a non-feedback trial. So oh. as you know, in REST, some of, the, some of the items get feedback and some don't. So if there was a break in it, we wouldn't, we wouldn't give feedback on that one because we didn't know if it was a lag in the system. It didn't happen very much. The other thing we sometimes did was we could um, ask the parents, you know, whether the internet lagged at that point. Hmm. Um, and then sometimes... So did, you, so did you then give feedback on another one or did you just skip it? 
it really didn't happen very much. And generally, we would swap the feedback out. So then the next one that was not supposed to be a feedback trial, we would give feedback on. But it was something that didn't even happen on average, it didn't even happen once per session per child. So it wasn't something ah, we, need, we needed to worry good. about too much. And that was before the NBN. Um, it strikes me now that one of the things that we need to do, and I do this with my um, private practice clients, is give them the phone number for dial-in on Zoom so that sometimes they can have the sound via the phone. And so you might lose the vision and it might lag, but the sound stays good. Mm. Um, and that's one way of sort of preventatively dealing with the um, the problems with um, buffering and so forth with um, internet access. Yeah, yeah. No, and the general the general advice on telehealth is plug in plug directly into your router if you can. Mm-hmm. Be close to your router if you can't mm-hmm. plug directly in. Um, Limit uh, what other you- family members are doing with the with the internet at the time of your. Um, of your session so they're not downloading movies yeah um uh, be prepared to hotspot off your phone if you need to um what else um and always have backups you know talk with the family about what those backups are going to be so that people are aware of what you're going to do are you going to swap to another um another video conferencing platform or are you going to go to a phone or what is it that you're going to do Mm. yeah did you do anything in preparation for the um training i think i remember doing something yes we had what we called a familiarization session so that was really helpful that was a session where the clinician used the video conferencing with the client really just to check that the telehealth was going to work so to sort out any tech problems to make sure that the client could see and hear the clinician and the clinician could see and hear the client but it also just reduced a bit of anxiety the client and the and the carer sort of thought oh okay I can see how this is going to work and it meant that there was no pressure on that so in our clinic in our student clinic at the moment we use that for all of our telehealth clients as well that's a session that that is short maybe maybe 10 minutes just to sort that out um and when we do it in our in our clinic we don't charge clients for that and it just helps everybody to feel a bit more relaxed about about that i've read in some of the literature particularly from the states they call it a telecheck which i think is quite a nice yeah yeah, quite a nice phrase i i think the orientation is really important i think it's also for clinicians to feel comfortable i'm by the time most people hear this podcast, they will have moved across, but um, there will be people, new clients coming in. So although we'll be familiar, mm. you know, starting term two or starting term three, if we're still in this situation, there'll be new clients coming in who haven't done it. And although their parents may be more familiar, the children, you know, may or may not, particularly if they're preschoolers, be be familiar with it. So I think that tele-check idea is a good one. Mm. I guess I wanted to finish off by saying that if you're um, doing rest uh, or you're thinking about doing rest, the website has a whole lot of training materials on it and they're free. So there's videos of Donna and I doing imperfect rest (laughs) um, and and also with uh, Pippa doing it with an adolescent. And there's self-directed learning materials. But in, in addition to that, Donna talked earlier about the PowerPoints and the PowerPoints are available. And, of course, you could just replace our nonsense words with yours using a find and replace 
um, sort of mechanism. And then that is going to make it much easier. We do have a um, pile more resources to put up sometime mm -hmm. soon. So I'm hoping that there'll be even more, <laughs> but do work your way through all the layers of the website to find um, the already existing materials that you could use for the telehealth session so that you're not having to create lots and lots of materials. So I think that's all I've got to say on the telehealth issue, but I'm always happy to answer emails. So don't be scared, email or me or Donna or Liz and all of us will be happy to get back to you with um, answers to questions. We don't really have all the answers to everything. Um, and if you're on Facebook, if, if clinicians are on Facebook, there is a, a group that's called Rest Rapid Syllable Transition Training that's for a group of speeches where people ask questions and answer, answer those. So I'm in that, that group. So that's another option uh, with, for, for getting answers to questions and support for other, but from clinicians for clinicians. That's fantastic. The um, original queries that sparked this podcast came from the private practitioners community on SPA Facebook. So um, I'm sure people will be interested to hear about that new group. So I'd like to wrap this up now and thank Donna and Tricia very much for their time. I don't know whether they mentioned it, but we were working in um, a real-time look at the challenges of managing telehealth as my internet dropped out partway through. So very big thanks to Tricia and Donna for keeping it all going. Um, and I'm sure that what you had to say in my absence was as fascinating as all that went before it. So thank you both very much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.